Section 5 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 2, Jewish Heroes and Prophets, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Moses, Part 1. 1571 to 1451 B.C. Usher. Hebrew Jurisprudence. Among the great actors in the world's history must surely be presented the man who gave the first recorded impulse to civilization, and who is the most august character of antiquity. I think Moses and his legislation should be considered from the standpoint of the scriptures rather than from that of science and criticism. It is very true that the legislation and ritualism we have been accustomed to ascribe to Moses are thought by many great modern critics, including Ewald, to be the work of writers whose names are unknown, in the time of Hezekiah and even later, as Jewish literature was developed. But I remain unconvinced by the modern theories, plausible as they are, and weighty as is their authority, and hence I have presented the greatest man in the history of the Jews as our fathers regarded him, and as the Bible represents him. Nor is there any subject which bears more directly on the elemental principles of theological belief and practical morality, or is more closely connected with the progress of modern religious and social thought, than a consideration of the Mosaic writings. Whether as a man of God, or as a meditative sage, or as a sacred historian, or as an inspired prophet, or as an heroic liberator and leader of a favored nation, or as a profound and original legislator, Moses alike stands out as a wonderful man, not to the eyes of the Jews merely, but to all enlightened nations and ages. He was evidently raised up for a remarkable and exalted mission not only to deliver a debased and superstitious people from bondage, but to impress his mind and character upon them and upon all other nations, and to link his name with the progress of the human race. He arose at a great crisis, when a new dynasty reigned in Egypt, not friendly, as the preceding one had been, to the children of Israel, but a dynasty which had expelled the shepherd kings, and looked with fear and jealousy upon this alien race, already powerful, in sympathy with the old regime, located in the most fertile sections of the land and acquainted not merely with agriculture but with the arts of the egyptians a population of over two millions of souls so that the reigning monarch probably a son of the sesotris of the greeks bitterly exclaimed to his courtiers the children of israel are more and mightier than we and the consequence of this jealousy was a persecution based on the elemental principle of all persecution that of fear blended with envy carried out with remorseless severity for in case of war and the new dynasty scarcely felt secure on the throne it was feared the hebrews might side with the enemies so the new pharaoh rameses the second as is thought by rawlinson attempted to crush their spirit by hard toils and unjust exactions and as they still continued to multiply there came forth the dreadful edict that every male child of the hebrews should be destroyed as soon as born it was then that Moses, descended from a family of the tribe of Levi, was born, 1571 B.C., according to Usher. I need not relate in detail the beautiful story of his concealment for three months by his mother Jochebed, his exposure in a basket of papyrus on the banks of the Nile, his rescue by the daughter of Pharaoh, at that time regent of the kingdom in the absence of her father, or, as Wilberforce thinks, the wife of the king of Lower Egypt, his adoption by this powerful princess, his education in the royal household among those learned priests, to whose caste even the king belonged. Moses himself, a great master of historical composition, has in six verses told that story, with singular pathos and beauty. 
yet he directly relates nothing further of his life until at the age of forty he killed an egyptian overseer who was smiting one of his opposed brethren and buried him in the sands thereby showing that he was indignant at injustice or clung in his heart to his race of slaves but what a history might have been written of those forty years of luxury study power and honor since josephus speaks of his successful and brilliant exploits as a conqueror of the ethiopians what a career did the son of the hebrew bondwoman probably lead in the palaces of memphis sitting at the monarch's table fated as a conqueror adopted as a grandson and perhaps as heir a proficient in all the learning and arts of the most civilized nation of the earth enrolled in the college of priests discoursing with the most accomplished of his peers on the wonders of magical enchantment the hidden meaning of religious rites and even the being and attributes of a supreme god the esoteric wisdom from which even a pythagoras drew his inspiration possibly tasting with generals and nobles all the pleasures of sin but whether in pleasure or honor the soul of moses fortified by the maternal instructions of his early days for his mother was doubtless a good as well as a brave woman soars beyond his circumstances and he seeks to avenge the wrongs of his brethren not wisely however for he slays a government official and is forced to flee a necessity which we can hardly comprehend in view of his rank and power unless it revealed all at once to the astonished king his hebrew birth and his dangerous sympathies with an oppressed people the act showing that he may have sought in his earnest soul to break their intolerable bonds certainly moses aspires prematurely to be a deliverer he is not yet prepared for such a mighty task he is too impulsive and inexperienced it must need be that he pass through a period of preparation learn patience mature his knowledge and gain moral force which preparation could be best made in severe contemplation for it is in retirement and study that great men forge the weapons which demolish principalities and powers and master those principia which are the foundations of thrones and empires so he retires to the deserts of midian among a scattered pastoral people on the eastern shore of the red sea and is received by jethro a priest of midian whose flock he tends and whose daughter he marries the land of midian to which he fled is not fertile like egypt nor rich in unnumbered monuments of pride and splendor with pyramids for mausoleums and colossal statues to perpetuate kingly memories it is not scented with flowers and variegated with landscapes of beauty and fertility but it is for the most part with here and there a patch of verdure a land of utter barrenness and dreariness and as hamilton paints it a great and terrible wilderness where no soft features mitigated the unbroken horror but dark and browned ridges red peaks like pyramids of fire no rounded hillocks or soft mountain curves but monstrous and misshapen cliffs rising tier above tier and serrated for miles into rugged grandeur and grooved by the winter torrents cutting into the veins of the fiery rock a land dreary and desolate yet sublime in its boldness and ruggedness a labyrinth of wild and blasted mountains a terrific and howling desolation it is here that moses seeks safety and finds it in the home of a priest where his affections may be cultivated and where he may indulge in lofty speculations and commune with the elohim whom he adores isolated yet social active in body but more active in mind still fresh in all the learning of the schools of egypt and wise in all the experiences of forty years 
and the result of his studies and inspirations was it is supposed the book of genesis in which he narrates more important events and reveals more lofty truths than all the historians of greece unfolded in their collective volumes a marvel of historic art a model of composition an immortal work of genius the oldest and the greatest written history of which we have record and surely what poetry pathos and eloquence what simplicity and beauty what rich and varied lessons of human experience what treasures of moral wisdom are revealed in that little book how sublimely the poet prophet narrates the misery of the fall and the promised glories of the restoration how concisely the historian compresses the incidents of patriarchal life the rise of empires the fall of cities the certitudes of faith of friendship and of love all that is vital in the history of thousands of years is condensed into a few chapters not dry and barren annals but descriptions of character and the unfolding of emotions and sensibilities and insight into those principles of moral government which indicate a superintending power creating faith in a world of sin and consolation amid the wreck of matter thus when forty more years are passed in study in literary composition in religious meditation and active duties in sight of grand and barren mountains amid affectations and simplicities years which must have familiarized him with every road and cattle drive and sheep track every hill and peak every weighty and water course every timber belt and oasis in the sinaitic wilderness through which his providentially trained military instincts were to safely conduct a vast multitude moses still strong and laborious is fitted for his exalted mission as a deliverer and now he is directly called by the voice of god himself amid the wonders of the burning bush him who thus far he had like abraham adored as the elohim the god almighty but whom henceforth he recognizes as jehovah Jahveh, in his special relations to the jewish nation rather than as the general deity who unites the attributes ascribed to him as the ruler of the universe moses quakes before that awful voice out of the midst of the bush which commissions him to deliver his brethren he is no longer bold impetuous impatient but timid and modest long study and retirement from the busy haunts of men have made him self-distrustful he replies to the great i am who am i that i should bring forth the children of israel out of egypt behold i am not eloquent they will not believe me nor hearken to my voice in spite of the miracle of the rod moses obeys reluctantly and aaron his elder brother is appointed as his spokesman armed with a mysterious wonder-working rod at length moses and aaron as representatives of the jewish people appear in the presence of pharaoh and in the name of jehovah request permission for israel to go and hold a feast in the wilderness they do not demand emancipation or emigration which would of course be denied i cannot dwell on the haughty skepticism and obdurate hardness of the king who is jehovah that i should obey his voice the renewed persecution of the hebrews the successive plagues and calamities sent upon egypt which the magicians could not explain and the final extorted and unwilling consent of pharaoh to permit israel to worship the god of moses in the wilderness lest greater evil should befall him than the destruction of the firstborn throughout the land the deliverance of a nation of slaves is at last it would seem miraculously effected and then begins the third period of the life of moses as the leader and governor of these superstitious sensual idolatrous degraded slaves then begin the real labors and trials of moses for the people murmur and are consumed with fears as soon as they have crossed the sea and find themselves in the wilderness 
and their unbelief and impatience are scarcely lessened by the tremendous miracle of the submersion of the pursuing host and all successive miracles the mysterious manna the pillar of cloud and of fire the smitten rock at horeb and the still more impressive and awful wonders of sinai the guidance of the israelites during these forty years in the wilderness is marked by transcendent ability on the part of moses and by the most disgraceful conduct on the part of the israelites they are forgetful of mercies ungrateful rebellious childish in their hankerings for a country where they had been more oppressed than spartan helots idolatrous and superstitious they murmur for flesh to eat they make golden calves to worship they seek a new leader when moses is longer on the mount than they expect when any new danger threatens they lay the blame on moses they even foolishly regret that they had not died in egypt obviously such a people were not fit for freedom or even for the conquest of the promised land they were as timid and cowardly as they were rebellious even the picked men sent out to explore canaan with the exception of caleb and joshua reported nations of giants impossible to subdue a new generation must arise disciplined by forty years experience made hardy and strong by exposure and suffering yet what nation in the world's history ever improved so much in forty years what ruler ever did so much for a people in a single reign this abject race of slaves in forty years was transformed into a nation of valiant warriors made subject to law and familiar with the fundamental principles of civilization what a marvelous change effected by the genius and wisdom of one man in communion with the almighty power but the distinguishing labor of moses during these forty years by which he linked his name with all subsequent ages and became the greatest benefactor of mind the world has seen until christ was his system of jurisprudence it is this which especially demands our notice and hence will form the main subject of this lecture in reviewing the mosaic legislation we notice both those ordinances which are based on immutable truth for the rule of all nations to the end of time and those prescribed for the peculiar situation and exigencies of the jews as a theocratic state isolated from other nations the moral code of moses by far the most important and universally accepted rests on the fundamental principles of theology and morality how lofty how impressive how solemn this code how it appeals at once to the consciousness of all minds in every age and nation producing convictions that no sophistry can weaken binding the conscience with irresistible and terrific bonds those immortal ten commandments engraven on the two tablets of stone and preserved in the holy and innermost sanctuary of the jews yet reappearing in all their literature accepted and reaffirmed by christ entering into the religious system of every nation that has received them and forming the cardinal principles of all theological belief yet it was by moses that these commandments came he is the first the favored man commissioned by god to declare to the world clearly and authoritatively his supreme power and majesty whom alone all nations and tribes and people are to worship to remotest generations in it he fearfully exposes the sin of idolatry to which all nations are prone the one sin which the almighty visits with such dreadful penalties since this involves and implies logically rebellion against him the supreme ruler of the universe and disloyalty to him as a personal sovereign in whatever form this idolatry may appear whether in graven images of tutelary deities or in the worship of nature ever blind and indefinite or in the exaltation of self 
in the varied search for pleasure ambition or wealth to which the debased soul bows down with groveling instincts and in the pursuit of which the soul forgets its higher destiny and its paramount obligations moses is the first to expose with terrific force and solemn earnestness this universal tendency to the oblivion of the one god amid the temptations the pleasures and the glories of the world and the certain displeasure of the universal sovereign which must follow as seen in the fall of empires and the misery of individuals from his time to ours the uniform doom of people and nations whatever the special form of idolatry whenever it reaches a peculiar fullness and development the ultimate law of all decline and ruin from which there is no escape for the lord god is a jealous god visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation so sacred and awful is this controlling deity that it is made a cardinal sin even to utter his name in vain in levity or blasphemy in order also to keep him before the minds of men a day is especially appointed one in seven which it is the bounden duty as well as privilege of all generations to keep with peculiar sanctity a day of rest from labor as well as of adoration an entirely new institution which no pagan nation and no other ancient nation ever recognized after thus laying solemn injunctions upon all men to render supreme allegiance to this personal god for we can find no better word although matthew arnold calls it the power which maketh for righteousness moses presents the duties of men to each other chiefly those which pertain to the abstaining from injuries they are most tempted to commit extending to the innermost feelings of the heart for thou shalt not covet anything which is thy neighbor's thus covering in a few sentences the primal obligations of mankind to god and to society afterward expanded by a greater teacher into the more comprehensive law of love which is to bind together mortals on earth as it binds together immortals in heaven all christian nations have accepted these ten commandments even mohammedan nations as appealing to the universal conscience not a mere jewish code but a primary law susceptible of boundless obligation never to be abrogated a direct injunction of the almighty to the end of time the ten commandments seem to be the foundation of the subsequent and more minute code which moses gave to the jews and it is interesting to see how its great principles have entered more or less into the laws of christian nations from the decline of the roman empire into the theodosian code the laws of charlemagne of ina of alfred and especially into the institutions of the puritans and of all other sects and parties wherever the bible is studied and revered they seem to be designed not merely for jews but for gentiles also since there is no escape from their obligation they may seem severe in some of their applications but never unjust and as long as the world endures the relations between man and man are to be settled on lofty moral grounds an elevated morality is the professed aim of all enlightened lawgivers and the prosperity of nations is built upon it for it is righteousness which exalteth them culture is desirable but the welfare of nations is based on morals rather than on aesthetics on this point moses or even epictetus is a greater authority than goethe all the ordinances of moses tend to this end they are the publication of natural religion that god is a rewarder of virtuous actions and punishes wicked deeds moses from first to last insists imperatively on the doctrine of personal responsibility to god which doctrine is the logical sequence of belief in him as the moral governor of the world and enforcing this cardinal truth he is dogmatic and dictatorial as a prophet and ambassador of the most high should be 
it is a waste of time to use arguments in the teaching of the primal principles which appeal to consciousness and i am not certain but that elaborate and metaphysical reasoning on the nature and attributes of god weakens rather than strengthens the belief in him since he is a power made known by revelation and received and accepted by the soul at once if received at all among the earliest noticeable corruptions of the church was the introduction of greek philosophy to harmonize and reconcile with it the truths of the gospel which to a certain class ever have been and ever will be foolishness the speculations and metaphysics of theologians i verily believe have done more harm than good from athanasius to jonathan edwards whenever they have brought the aid of finite reason to support the ultimate truths declared by an infinite and almighty mind moses does not reason nor speculate nor refine he affirms and appeals to the law written on the heart to the consciousness of mankind what he declares to be duties are not even to be discussed they are to be obeyed with unhesitating obedience since no discussion or argument can make them clearer or more imperative the obligation to obey them is seen and felt at once as soon as they are declared what he says in regard to the relations of master and servant to injuries inflicted on the body to the respect due parents to the protection of the widow the fatherless and the unfortunate to the delicacy in the treatment of women to unjust judgments to bribery and corruption to revenge hatred and covetousness to falsehood and tale-bearing to unchastity theft murder and adultery can never be gainsaid and would have been accepted by roman jurists as readily as by modern legislators yea they would not be disputed by savages if they acknowledged a god at all the elevated morality of the ethical code of moses is its most striking feature since it appeals to the universal heart and does not conflict with some of the ethical teachings of those great lights of the pagan world to whose consciousness god has been revealed moses differs from them only in the completion and scope and elevation of his system and in its freedom from the puerilities and superstitions which they blended with their truths and from which he was emancipated by inspiration brahma and confucius and socrates taught some great truths which moses would accept but they taught errors likewise he taught no errors though he permitted some sins which in the beginning did not exist such for instance as polygamy christ came not to destroy his law but to fulfill it and complete it in two things especially how emphatic his teaching and how permanent his influence in respect to the observance of the sabbath and the relations of the sexes to him more than to any man in the world's history do we owe the elevation of woman and the sanctity and blessing of a day of rest in the awful sacredness of the person and in the regular resort to the sanctuary of god we see his immortal authority and his permanent influence the other laws which moses promulgated are more special and minute and seem to be intended to preserve the jews from idolatry the peculiar sin of the surrounding nations and also more directly to keep alive the recognition of a theocratic government thus the ceremonial or ritualistic law an important part of the mosaic code constantly points to jehovah as the king of the jews as well as their supreme deity for whose worship the rites and ceremonies are devised with great minuteness to keep his personality constantly before their minds moreover all their rites and ceremonies were typical and emblematical of the promised saviour who was to arise in a more emphatic sense their king and not merely their own messiah but the redeemer of the whole race who should reign finally as king of kings and lord of lords 
and hence these rites and sacrifices typical of him who should offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world are not supposed to be binding on other nations after the great sacrifice has been made and the law of moses has been fulfilled by jesus and the new dispensation has been established we see a complicated and imposing service with psalms and hymns and beautiful robes and smoking altars all that could inspire awe and reverence we behold a blazing tabernacle of gold and silver and precious woods and gorgeous tapestries with inner and secret recesses to contain the ark and the tablets of stone the mysterious rod the urn of manna the book of the covenant the golden throne over canopied by cherubs and with outstretched wings and the mercy seat for the shekinah who sat between the cherubim the sacred and costly vessels the candlesticks of pure and beaten gold the lamps the brazen sea the embroidered vestments of the priests the breastplate of precious stones the golden chains the emblematic rings the ephods and mitres and girdles the various altars for sacrifice the burnt offerings peace offerings meat offerings and sin offerings the consecrated cakes and animals for sacrifice the rites for cleansing leprosy and all uncleanliness the grand atonements and solemn fasts and festivals all were calculated to make a strong impression on a superstitious people the rites and ceremonies of the jews were so attractive that they made up for all other amusements and spectacles they answered the purpose of the gothic churches and cathedrals of europe in the middle ages when these were the chief attractions of the period there is nothing absurd in ritualism among ignorant and superstitious people who are ever most easily impressed through their senses and imagination it was the wisdom of the middle ages the device of popes and bishops and abbots to attract and influence the people but ritualism useful in certain ages and circumstances certainly in its most imposing forms if i may say it does not seem to be one of the peculiarities of enlightened ages even the ritualism of the wilderness lost much of its hold upon the jews themselves after their captivity and still more when greek and roman civilization had penetrated to jerusalem the people who listened to peter and paul could no longer be moved by imposing rites even as the european nations under the preaching of luther knox and latimer lost all relish for the ceremonies of the middle ages what then are we to think of the revival of observances which lost their force three hundred years ago unless connected with artistic music it is music which visualizes ritualistic worship in our times as it did in the times of david and solomon the vitality of jewish ritual when the nation had emerged from barbarism was in its connections with a magnificent psalmody the psalms of david appeal to the heart and not to the senses the ritualism of the wilderness appealed to the senses and not to the heart and this was necessary when the people had scarcely emerged from barbarism even as it was deemed necessary amid the turbulence and ignorance of the tenth century end of section five